Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. I got a request this morning to finish early so we could go do snow angels in the afternoon. We'll see how the Holy Spirit leads. Uh, whether or not we get to do that or not. But I'm excited to continue to walk through the book of Exodus as we're seeing the majesty and the power and the glory of the Lord. And I, I, lo- I like walking through books because we get the entire picture. We get the context, right? It's very easy for us to pull a verse or a few verses or even a chapter and study. Uh, it takes a lot more time and effort to walk through an entire book. But when you go through an entire book, you get the context, right? You begin to see bigger pictures you see the Lord at work when the people are doing the good things they're supposed to do, and you get to see the Lord at work when the people are doing things they shouldn't be doing. And I've, I've kind of said this before about the people of Israel, but their a journey through the book of Exodus is, is really like a roller coaster. There are times when they're up and they're doing the things they're supposed to be doing and they're following the Lord, they're worshiping the Lord. And then there are times when they're down at the bottom and they're sinful and they've separated themselves from the Lord and they're rebellious. And then they're back up at the top and it's kind of this ebb and flow. And it really reminds me of our walk with Christ. Uh, There are times in our lives where we are at the top of that mountain We're seeking the Lord. We're excited. We're growing in our faith. And there are times when we're down in the valleys, right? And we've sinned and maybe we've strayed from the things of the Lord. And it's kind of a a roller coaster ride. And so I think there's a lot we can learn from the people of Israel. There's a lot we we can learn from the way that they lived. But the bigger picture of that is what the Lord's doing in the midst of this, right? He's the star of this story. He's the one that's going to direct them and lead them and guide them all in his timing, all in his plan. So let's jump right in this morning, Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. We've already seen this once. We're going to see it again throughout the book. They're going to grumble and complain. Verse 3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day, gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? that you should grumble against us. And Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, 
but against the Lord. Now let's stop there and let's see if we can understand exactly what the Lord is trying to show us in this text. There's, there's some main truth I want you to get at here and we're going to walk through together. Here's the first point, number one. We're going to see, first of all, the patience of the Lord. Now this isn't the first time we've seen it. It's not the last time we're going to see it. But the Lord shows great patience as these people are grumbling as they're complaining, as they're angry, as they're backbiting, whatever phrase you want to use, they're not happy, they make that known, they're going to complain, and the Lord's still going to demonstrate really throughout this account his great patience. Now, this is kind of the second major problem the people of Israel have had since they've gotten into the wilderness. Remember the 10 plagues, God's demonstrated his power. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's led them through the Red Sea. And as soon as they get into the wilderness, the first problem we studied last week is there's no water for them. Remember they've come out of Egypt with a little bit of food, a little bit of water, a little bit of dough for their bread. They've gotten to the point now where those things are running low. Last week, no water, the Lord provided. Now, no food. And so we've kind of come to this place where they're in the wilderness, there's nowhere to buy what they need. They begin to worry. They begin to plant, complain. They begin to grumble. So God's going to, in his great mercy, in his great love, in his patience with them, the Lord's going to give them a real clear plan. And so we see in Exodus 16, 4, the Bible says, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day, right? Not too much, not too little, just enough for your families. You can gather this each day. And then I want you to notice what the Lord is doing here in the second part of verse four. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Right now, we've talked about this already, but this is more than just a walk through the wilderness for these people. This is more than just being freed from slavery. God is going to bring them into the desert. He's going to direct their path. He's going to direct their course, not simply so they can have a fun experience, but he's going to do it so he can grow them in their faith, grow them in their walk, ultimately test them. That's what he says at the end of verse 4, right? I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. One writer explained it like this. He was testing them to trust them for their daily bread. Day by day, week by week, year by year, they had to depend on him for everything. God provided exactly what they needed. It was never too much or too little, but always enough. Right? There's this process that the Lord walks him through to test them, to help them figure out how to trust him and love him more. And so he allows them to have the food they need, to give them the bread they need, the meat they need every day, but it's only enough for them to survive for that day. They don't get too much. They don't get too little. It's a process of growing in faith, right? We see the same kind of process in our lives today. We're going to talk more about this in just a minute. But there's this idea that the Lord's going to give us exactly what we need. He's going to provide for us all the while allowing us to walk through difficulty sometimes so that we can be tested and grow in our walk, grow in our faith to get closer to him. And a lot of times we pray for things to be really easy 
We pray for things to be simple. We pray for the Lord to remove the struggles in our lives. Yet oftentimes it's those struggles, it's the difficulties that we walk through that allow us to grow in our faith, that allow us to grow in our depth of understanding of exactly who the Lord is and what the Lord's done. But I want to kind of think through this a little bit more. I'll take a little closer look at what these people are asking for because this matters. Look at verse 3 again. Pull verse 3 up so we can see that. So the Israelites said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, right? So we would have rather have stayed in Egypt and die than to go through what we're going through now. There, they're describing what happens in Egypt. We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, they're remembering back. They're saying, listen, when we were in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat, right? There was plenty of food. We ate all the food that we wanted, right? So whatever we wanted, however much we wanted, we had it available to us. We had all that we could possibly ever want. Now, here's what they're doing, right? We do the same thing. They're confusing their needs with their wants, right? They want pots of meat. They want lots of food. They want what they want, and they want it now. They're confusing their wants with what they really need. The Lord says, listen, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you enough bread every single day to survive. No more, no less, right? How many of us confuse our needs with our wants? Right? We want a lot of things, don't we? The Lord says, here's what you really need. We want a lot of stuff in this life. The Lord says, listen, this is what you really need. So, so a lot of this is about the contentment of these people. It's about them learning to trust the Lord. But we're seeing kind of built into this, and we're going to get into this need versus want here in just a few minutes in a little more depth. But as we walk through this and, and see this struggle, we're seeing kind of above all of this, this idea of the faithfulness of the Lord, the provision of the Lord, the, the trust of the Lord, the patience of the Lord. He's going to love them, even as they get confused, even as they're grumbling for what they want, not what they need, even as they're unhappy, the Lord's still going to lead them. He's still going to love them. He's still going to demonstrate patience towards them. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. I, I love this quote because a lot of us kind of confuse this idea. We, we think that what we really need are the things of the world, right? We confuse our wants with our needs, right? So we want more of the things of the world because we think that the things of the world are going to bring us joy. We think the more money we have or the more possessions we have or the better our job or the more food we have or the more friends or fame or, or you name it, right? We all struggle with different things. The more of that we have, we think will bring us more happiness, Instead, what the people of Israel have to learn is it's really the Lord that we need, not the things of this world. Here, here's how C.S. Lewis described it. He says, we are half-hearted creatures. He's talking about us. Fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine What's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Right? We think it's the material things and desires that fulfill us. It's really the hope of the Lord that we need. Always guiding, always loving, always patient, always faithful. Now let's continue. Look at verse 9. 
So then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he's heard your grumbling. Right again, there's the patience and the love of, of the Lord. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Verse 17, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. And they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Now, we've seen already the patience of the Lord. Right, we've seen him loving these people, even in the midst of their grumbling and complaining. Here's the second thing we see, very simply. Number two, the provision of the Lord. Right, the idea is that the Lord is faithful even when we are not. Right, the Lord provides even when we are rebellious. Right, there's this picture of his love and his mercy and his grace and his provision here. These people are learning to trust the Lord for everything they have, for their food, for their water, for their shelter. Now, one of the reasons I love teaching through the Old Testament, I've said this before, is that there's so much in the Old Testament that points towards Jesus. In fact, the Old Testament is kind of this picture looking ahead to all Christ is going to accomplish in all the prophecies and the stories of the Old Testament, looking ahead to exactly what Messiah is going to do. And then the New Testament really is looking back at everything that Christ accomplished, but Christ is in the center. And as we think about this Old Testament account and we think about the bread from heaven, we're reminded of a story of Jesus in John chapter 6. Now, you don't have to flip there. I'm going to show it to you on the screen in just a minute. But let me give you just a little bit of background. We're going to make a connection. Right, John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's walked on the water to the other side of the lake. The people have looked for him. They finally found him, right? This is the time in his ministry where crowds are growing and pressing in on him and he barely find time to go alone and pray. So these people walk around to the other side of the lake. They find him there and they begin to question him. So John chapter 6, verse 25 says, When they found him, that's Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, right? He just fed them five, fed the 5,000, which would have been probably closer to 25 or 30,000 with the women and children. He's just fed them and he said to them, listen, you're not following me because you're looking for me. You're following me because you want your bellies full. 
You're hoping I'm going to feed you. Now, there's a, a spiritual versus a physical idea we're going to get to here in just a second. So John 6, 27, Jesus again says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now, verse 28, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who, has, who he has sent. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, now here's the connection to Exodus. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. That's what we're talking about in Exodus 16. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you, listen, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. Do not do, excuse me, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right, Jesus says, listen, you remember the, the people in Exodus when the manna came down and God provided? Jesus says, listen, I've got a bread for you that I can give you that if you'll eat, you'll never be hungry again. And they say, listen, give us that bread. How do we get that bread? To which Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. Right, I have come down from heaven. Right, and There's this very interesting, same thing that happens in Exodus 16. There's the comparison of the physical versus the spiritual, right? The people want the physical. They want the bread. They want to be taken care of. They want to eat. We see that in Exodus 16. We see it in John 6 with the feeding of the 5,000. There's a physical need of these people, but Jesus does what he often does in conversations. He takes the physical idea, the physical yearning, and he turns it into a spiritual conversation, right? You think that you need the physical. What you ultimately need is the spiritual, right? You think you need bread to eat. What you need is the bread of heaven. That's Jesus Christ, right? The true bread so you'll never be hungry again, now, now, bread for us is, is not a big deal. Right? We eat bread with a meal. If you have bread, fine. If you don't, no big deal. Maybe you get a piece of toast with your breakfast. Right? We, we like bread, but it's not really a staple for us. But in much of the world, even today, bread is a big deal. It's a big part of what they do. It's a big part of what they eat. And so when the Lord's speaking to these people, he's speaking their language. He's helping them understand. He's showing them the significance of exactly who he, who he is. He's saying to them, listen, you want physical bread. I'm offering you something infinitely more valuable, bread that brings eternal life. Right? So we have to kind of answer the question in our lives. Listen, are we more interested in the physical or the spiritual? Are we interested in the things of the world or the things of 
the Lord. And so Jesus kind of enters our life here, just as we see in Exodus 16, we see in John chapter 6, Jesus kind of enters our life and, and enters our world and speaks to this idea of physical versus spiritual, because a lot of us spend our lives working for the physical, right? We, we go to school so we can make more money or get more jobs or have more possessions. And there's nothing wrong with, with doing well and having a good job and having stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But are you using those things for the glory of the Lord, ultimately understanding that the greatest thing you can ever have is not the physical bread that you put in your bellies, but the bread of heaven that comes through Christ, right? He is our provision. He is ultimately all we ever need. We get caught up in the things of the world. We miss this teaching of the Lord. Now, let's finish this thing up. Look at verse 10 again, right? We've, the promises of the Lord, he's, the patience of the Lord, he's faithful, he's loving, he's walking with his people, he's providing for these people, right? Is his provision for them. Even as they grumble, like while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Even as we grumble and complain, he still loves us, he's still faithful. Now, look at verse 9 again. Then Moses told Aaron, said to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Verse 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Truth number three, we see now the glory of the Lord, right? The patience, the provision, finally the glory, right? Everything about this account throughout the book of Exodus is about the glory of the Lord. Right, he hears their cry, comes down from heaven to rescue them through the plagues. He leads them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, a, a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. Now he's providing for them every single day. And when they look out into the desert, they look out into the cloud, they see the glory of the Lord appearing to them. Right? This is a theme that we're going to see more and more in the wilderness. All right, we saw the glory of the Lord demonstrated through his power while they were in Egypt. Now he's going to manifest himself more to them physically, right? In clouds and in fire and in lightning, settling down on mountains. We'll see that as we walk more through the story of Exodus. But we see this, this beautiful picture of the, the power and the majesty and the glory of the Lord returning to these people, right? What was separated in Eden... Right, Adam and Eve's sin and the glory of the Lord is separated from them. It's a return to this as the glory of the Lord kind of comes back to them, will eventually settle in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies, is eventually lived out through Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Right, so we see this picture of the glory and the majesty of the Lord appearing once again to these people. One, one writer said it like this. He said, what the people saw was the glorious cloud of God's presence and protection. At every stage of Israel's deliverance, God did what he did, and he did it the way he did it to receive all the glory and praise. God does all things for the ultimate good of his glory. So the question we ask ourselves as we finish this thing up this morning is how are we seeing the glory of the Lord living out in our lives? How are we recognizing you know, sometimes it's very easy for us to kind of put blinders on and to be focused on the next thing and the to-do list and the tasks and the calendar and the assignments. And all those things are good, but sometimes we miss this bigger picture of the glory of the Lord all around us. Did you know the Lord is at work all around you right now? Did you know that? 
You know, I, I love doing mission work because when we go on the field, oftentimes people will, will recount to me that that particular week they saw or they experienced or, or they heard from the Lord in ways they had never experienced before. And I'll have these regular conversations after we'll come back from doing mission work and, and they'll say something like, man, the Lord did something incredible in my life. I've, I've never seen him work like that before. I've never felt that close to him before. Listen, it's not the Lord, it's you. Did you know that? Because what happens when you get away for a week or two weeks or a month or whatever it looks like for you to do mission work and you kind of set aside the other parts of life and you focus just on the Lord, you hear his voice, that still, small voice, and you open your eyes to his glory. So the question is, what are you doing right now to see that glory, to understand that glory? How is he demonstrating his glory to you right now? Is it through your family? Could be. Is it through your job? Could be. Is it through your health? Is it through your church, through your Sunday school class? Teachers, is it through something that's happening in the classroom? Students, is it something that's happening at the lunch table or on the football field or the baseball field or, or wherever you're at school, extracurricular activities? What's the Lord doing in your life? Right? How can you see his glory? How can you share his glory with others? You know, the, the greatest way that the Lord demonstrates his glory to you in your life is through salvation. Right? As he gives his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, to take your place. And so if you've never prayed, if you've never prayed to repent of your sins and turn to Christ, I pray this is the moment for you. That you'll open your eyes once and for all to his majesty and his power and his glory. So, so during our time of invitation here in just a minute. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be praying for the person that's not. You need to earnestly be praying. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd love to tell you more about him right now. I'd love to tell you about his beauty and his majesty and his power and the forgiveness he offers to you because of all he accomplished on the cross.